Well, this morning, I'm super excited to get back into Revelation. Um, I haven't been able to move on, and honestly, I needed that time because Revelation is kind of one of those things that you just don't digest and teach. Um, although I've read it many times, I'm just going a little bit deeper this time. So are you ready? You ready for the word? Is this okay? Is Revelation okay? All right. All right, because I'm like, man, if I ask them and they say no, they don't like to, then I could, I could stop doing it. <laughs> but it's important, right? Because we are in the times and the seasons that we see God getting ready to reveal his son, Jesus. Like it's, we're right there, right? We're right there. We could any moment meet him in the air, any moment. And so we are right there, ready Um, And we stopped last time I spoke in Revelation 4, so we're going to finish up chapter 4, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 5. So hold on. My notes are seven pages. I know. It's funny. My dad and I were comparing notes because he's staying with us this weekend, and he's got one page. And I'm like, but I read, I like, I narrate my notes, and he's like a one-liner, outliner guy. So anyways, I promise you, it won't be that long. But um, so Revelation 4, 6, this is where we're going to open up. And this is the scripture verse um, that we're going to talk about first. And I entitled this 4 and 5, The One Worthy. And that song, oh my gosh, did you do that on purpose? Okay, that's amazing. I'm like, he, could, he, he knows I'm speaking on Revelation, but that song is literally what we're talking about today. Like perfection to a T. And so we have to close with that because we're going to want to do that. But um, so Revelation um, chapter four, verse six, you'll have a slide for that, Olivia. Thank you so much. It's so good to have you back there. Um, And it says, and before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now, these four living creatures, how many of you guys have ever seen this and was like, huh, what, right? There's so much to digest there, and there's so so much to get confused about. So we're going to break that down, and we're going to talk about that. The description of the four living creatures, or you could say beings, some translations say beasts, but I don't think that's a really good translation or a good word to translate it to. But there are a number of significant things regarding these beings that we want to talk about, first of all. Have you, you remember, I've talked about this before, the honor or the first mention. So anytime we see something in the Bible, we interpret the Bible with the Bible. And we can go back into the Bible and see, okay, when was a, a living being first talked about in the Bible? And do you know that we can go all the way back to Genesis? And Genesis 3.24, where God placed cherubim to guard the tree of life. Remember when Adam and Eve messed up and they were cast out of the garden? What did God put there? He put an angel or a cherubim to guard and make sure they weren't coming back in to get to eat of the tree of life. Because why? Then there was no hope for redemption, right? So, so he put them there. And that's the first time we hear of the word cherub or kerub, and that is um, an order of angelic beings. So when we think of the word cherub, what do you think about Valentine's Day, right? It's the first thing you think about, the little fat babies with the with the arrow and you're shooting for love, and that's just the thing that we we think about. But it's far from the truth. They are powerful beings that are given authority from God to do as he commands. 
powerful beings. Ezekiel, another time it was in the Old Testament, was a prophet in the time of Daniel. When Israel and Judah were taken into Babylonian exile, Ezekiel saw visions of similar heavenly beings. So he talked about the four creatures as well, the four living beings. Um, Isaiah also talks about similar beings, but he calls them seraphim. So cherubim, seraphim, they're a little bit different, but they're, they're, they're pretty much the same, representing the majesty and the immediate presence of the God of holiness. They represent his majesty and his holiness, and they do his bidding, right? They, they are obedient. They do his bidding. And the number four, that's even significant. Man, the Bible is so... Like this, it's just, you could go forever. <laughs> like I could probably preach a, a three-week, you know, message on just this chapter, but we can't do that, so I got to talk fast. But the number four is significant because all throughout the Bible, the number four represents the earth or creation. And so while we see the throne room, while we see these angelic beings and the elders casting their crowns and, and bowing down and crying holy, we also see this representation of creation and the earth, and, and how it all ties together. And we see the gospel just completely beautifully written out on display in chapter 5. And we're going to get there. But in Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Now, have you ever walked in the woods on a trail, or gotten to a mountaintop and looked out over, or maybe sat by the water and looked at the expansive ocean and thought, oh, I'm bored, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, we're like, God, you are amazing, right? We think, oh my gosh, there has to be a creator. We know there's a creator. God, you did all this. His creation speaks of his majesty, of his power, of his divine nature. And these living beings are connected to that, to his creation on earth in both power and worship. And we'll see further on in chapter 6, you'll see that they are the ones that summon the horsemen after each of the seals are broken. So the beings are connected with what happens here on earth because they obey the Lord when he tells them to do what he wants them to do. Um, so Revelation 4, 7 through 8, and we're just going to go through this until we get done with chapter 5 today. Um, so hold on and take pictures if you want. So the first living creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. Whoa, can you even imagine? I don't know that our minds can imagine some of this stuff. And that's why I don't put pictures up of some of these things, because Holy Spirit needs to give you <laughs> that, that picture if you're looking for that in your mind. But there's so much here that we can talk about. There's a lot of commentary on these four living beings, and I kind of go back to the commentary of throughout the centuries, these smart men kind of give their thoughts on what the Bible um, has, have, has 
told us. And so you can spend time with the Holy Spirit. Read some of these commentaries. Use the word to interpret the word, right? And so I'm giving you what my study is. Am I telling you it's 100% actual fact? No. (laughs) I'm telling you what I believe, and you take that to Holy Spirit, and you do this study, okay? So the four faces and what they represent. We know that the lion represents bravery, right? Fortitude, courage, authority. It represents government. The ox, what does it represent for us? Meekness, servanthood, patience, stability, firmness, endurance. What does the eagle represent? And I know we have Avon Lake eagles. We should be called the eagles. Avon shouldn't be called the eagles. We have eagles everywhere, right? I can get in trouble for that. I'm sorry, Wakely. Don't be mad at me, guys. Don't be mad at me. (laughs) But eagles, they speak of protection, aspiration. They're distinguished. They're rapid. They're swift. They represent power. And then man represents intelligence, wisdom, and prudence. These, this is a picture of God's creation representing his characteristics, right? So these creatures were ones who understood and they help God rule the natural world. The eyes on their wings and under their wings, they symbolize discernment and knowledge. The wings describe rapidity, rapidity, rapidity. I'm saying that right, right? Is that even a word? I don't think we use it like that, though. They describe swiftness of movement. How's that? (laughs) The faces depict the major qualities of life in the created universe. So there's so much there, and I don't even know that we will fully understand a lot of this, right? And I think we need to be okay with that. Can I just say that disclaimer? We need to be okay with some of this will remain a mystery until we're face to face, until we're with Jesus, until he can say, this is what I meant. You, had, you made a good effort though, <laughs> right? And we li- lean on the Holy Spirit to make sure that he'll show us when we're off. Revelation 4, 8, and day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Day and night, they don't stop. Can you imagine that? I remember as a, as a child going, I don't want to do that in heaven for eternity, right? Because kids can't understand the whole vastness of it. But like, I don't want to do that in eternity. But we're, we will forever be in awe and worship of God. And yes, it will be for eternity. We can't understand it now, but it's just like going for a walk in the woods, right? It's heaven and earth declaring the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Psalms 19.2. Psalms 19.2. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Every sunset, we go out there and we're like, okay, stop what we're doing. We got to go stand there and just look at it. It's every week, every, every night, right? Because we... Quit laughing at me. Don't do that to me. I know, but we're only home probably once a week for the sunset. That's why I said that. He's so mean to me. Oh. 
Can you imagine what it will be like when we come face to face with his glory? Like we could feel his presence this morning, right? Every single one of us. But can you imagine? Like we're not even going to be able to stand up. Like we're going to be on our face, right, before the Lord. And we'll continue in that worship for eternity. Revelation 4, 9 through 10. And this is what happens when the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne. To him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, we talked about the elders and how they could possibly represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples, the old covenant and the new covenant, right? And they're there and they're there worshiping with the creatures as well. And they're crying out in 411, worthy are you, our, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. There's creation. And because of your will, they existed. And were created. So we have this beautiful picture of the throne room where God is holy and he's worshiped. And then we also have this reminder of what he has created. So like there's this beautiful like mixture of the created world and all God's glory here and then in the throne room. So in chapter five, we're going to move into chapter five. This might be my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. It really might be because it's so powerful and it just gives us such a beautiful picture of Jesus. In Revelation 5.1, this is John, remember? John the Revelator. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. John sees God, just that, right? sees God sitting on his throne and with a scroll in his right hand. That right hand is important to remember. It's called dextera domini. It's the right hand. It speaks of his strength, his protection, his authority. It's a reminder that God is omnipotent. He's omniscient and he's omnipresent. And that basically just means that God's all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's present everywhere at the same time. (laughs) Jesus is seated at God's right hand. So that means that Jesus is sitting there with all the fullness of the Father as well. And in his hand, he has this scroll. And it says, written. it's written on the inside and on the back. Usually, writing was only on the inside because we, we have paper, right? We can do front or back. They used to have that papyrus. Papyrus, thank you. So one side was usually rough. But it was very significant that it was written on both sides, meaning that the message was complete. It was whole. It was important. It was a full and comprehensive message. No word wasted. That's what God is saying to us. Not one of these words in this Bible is wasted. And they will be fulfilled, right? In Jesus' name, this is truth and it will be fulfilled fulfilled in your life as well. 
This is how we read and study the Bible. If it's in there, it's important. Amen? And we have to know the truth. So it was common in the first century, which was this was really, really interesting to me. In the first century in which this was written, Revelation, it was common for a person in authority to seal an important document so the contents would remain a secret. Now I have I got this picture because even though I've been in the church for so long, I didn't know what this looked like. Isn't that funny? So this is what a scroll would look like in that time period. And important legal documents would be sealed with seven seals. And most of the time, they were last will and testaments. Isn't that interesting? So everybody that first read the book of Revelation, the letter from John, they had this in their mind. This was like us talking about um, a certified letter, right? They knew what he was talking about. This was a legal document, most of the time, a last will and testament, sealed with seven seals. See, the wills of Caesar Augustus and all the emperors, they all had these documents. They were sealed with wax or clay, and they could only be opened by a qualified person. So if you think about the qualification that it took to open up the scroll, that was interesting. And then to think about the last will and testament, somebody, what, had to die. Isn't that interesting? So this is the context, the historical context, that we can see this scroll in. So what's the contents of the scroll? Well, commentary suggests a few different ideas. Some say it was the book of life, in which all the names of the believers are written in. Some say it's a, the new covenant of the promised kingdom. Um, some say it represents Christ's title deed to planet Earth. I like this one the best, I think. Some say it's a history of the future. Isn't that cool? If you think about it, it's like our mind doesn't really work that way. But in, a, in heaven, <laughs> it makes sense. It's a history of the future. But it reveals some, some say it reveals the judgments of God to be poured out on the earth. Christ's second coming to rightfully inherit and implement the title deed of redemption to planet Earth and his righteous rule in the millennial kingdom. So we see this contents of this scroll, and we're going to get into actually what happens every time they remove one of those seals. But first of all, there's nobody ready to open it, right? In Revelation 5, 2 through 3, it says... And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. You can go on to the next one. And then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now, I can imagine John in this scene, right? He had been with Jesus. He believed he was the Messiah. And now he's on this side of eternity. He's in heaven witnessing this happen. It's like he saw a whole nother aspect of the gospel. It's like he saw the gospel in eternity. And he was probably completely overwhelmed by emotion. 
And I think it's kind of, it's similar to the way that we feel. When we go through something really hard and we're so dependent on Jesus and we're so thankful that he's in his life, our life, and then we think about people that don't know Jesus. We're like, oh, Lord, how do they go through the things that they go through? When they don't have the Lord to depend on, when they, when they don't have someone to pray to, they don't have someone to talk to. I believe that that was kind of what John was feeling. And he's saying, Jesus, you have to be the one. You have to be the one to open the scroll. And then as soon as, as, soon as he's weeping, Revelation 5.5, 5, one of the elders said to him, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to be able to open the scroll and the seven seals. So Jesus, we know, is the lion from the tribe of Judah. And we find that in Genesis 49.9. Why is he called the lion, right? It's important to know this because Jacob, who was Judah's father, actually blessed him. And he said, you are like a lion cub. (laughs) And you will be the symbol of the, well, the lion cub became the symbol of the tribe of Judah. And then we know that he's the root of David because David was the promised grand, great, great, great grandfather of Jesus. He had the promise that the Messiah would come through David's lineage. So that's why he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And then something really interesting happens. In Revelation 5, 6, John saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders. What did he see? He saw a lamb, not a lion. He saw a lamb standing as if slaughtered having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Did he miss something? He didn't miss anything. The lion became the lamb. Jesus became the sacrifice. Jesus is the lamb of God. And we know that comes from the account in Exodus, right? Do you remember when all the Israelites were being released from being slaves in Egypt? And because Pharaoh refused to let them go, God brought judgment on the Egyptians. But even though the Israelites were right in the middle of everything, right? Right in the middle of judgment. And we all need to hear this right now. Even when God wants to bring justice and truth to the earth, right? And freedom to the earth. And we find ourselves right in the middle of it. What does God do? He provided a way of safety for his children. He provided the perfect lamb. He said, get your lamb. It has to be spotless. It has to be perfect. And before you go to bed, You sacrifice that lamb, and you put the blood over the doorposts, and your children will be safe. Your children will be safe. So the lion is now a slain lamb. 
And that is found in Exodus 12, 23. It says, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses or to strike you. When we have the blood of Jesus posted, right, over our household, the enemy is not allowed entrance. He's not allowed to come in and destroy our families. He's not allowed to steal, kill, and destroy from us. Jesus is the lamb that protects us from the enemy's plan. And it's very interesting that you see on this lamb are seven horns and seven eyes. And I know I would always get hung up on that because my brain tries to imagine that. And it's like upsetting, right? <laughs> seven horns, seven eyes. But it's a very symbolic to, to who Jesus is. Those seven horns represent perfect power. Remember the number seven? It's perfection, it's wholeness, it's completeness. And horns in the Bible always represent power. Authority, kingship, horns. Jesus is that perfect king. Perfect power. And then eyes represent knowledge, right? Remember in the wings? Eyes represent knowledge. Perfect power and perfect knowledge to execute all the will of God. And perfect wisdom to understand it. So let me ask, how much do we trust Jesus? How much do we trust Jesus when things are falling apart in our life? When we get this bill and our air condition breaks again. <laughs> Doesn't matter when we get the diagnosis from the doctor. How much do we trust Jesus? May we declare Jesus, the Lamb of God, has all power and knowledge to execute God's will perfectly in my life. That might be the strongest declaration we could ever make over our lives, right? Jesus, the Lamb of God, has all power and knowledge to execute God's will perfectly in my life. Every time a circumstance comes against us, Jesus, right? The Lamb of God has all power and knowledge to execute God's will perfectly in my life. And then the promise that goes along with it, it gets better and better. It says, and are the seven spirits of God. And remember in Isaiah, it's the spirit of the Lord. It's the wisdom, the understanding, the counsel, the might, the knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And where is that? That is inside of us. Because Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit when he left. He said, here, he is your comforter. He is your He is your." guide, right? He's the one that's going to show you how to get through this and to be filled with the power and the knowledge of the Lord. And then in Revelation 5, 7, and then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So now we see that the Lamb of God has this legal document, this will and testament, executed because he died. Now he is the one that's worthy to put it into motion on earth. 
So we see this beautiful picture of the gospel, and that's where we are right now. It is, his plan is put into motion in our life because of his perfection, because of his obedience and his sacrifice. Satan is already defeated, and the restoration plan is now in place. And now from here on out, heaven just has a huge party. <laughs> heaven just has a huge party because they know it is finished. And that tells me that we, that's a great way to live, isn't it? We just have a huge party. It doesn't matter if things look bad. It doesn't matter if things are not turning out the way we think they are. God's perfect power and his perfect knowledge, right, is good enough to execute God's will perfectly in my life. And so all we do is celebrate. In Revelation 5, 8 through 10, this is a lot of scripture. <laughs> We're going to get through it, though. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We just have to pause right there. We just have to pause right there because that is such a beautiful picture that every single prayer that we pray to the Lord is kept. It's, it's kept for him to be poured out at the throne room. You know, we can think, oh, I'm just praying when I'm walking. It's not a big deal. It's not the right words. You know, it's not, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't matter. God keeps those and he fills up the bowls of incense In verse 9, it says, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals. For you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So now it's a new covenant. It's not only for the nation of Israel, but it is for us Gentiles. Amen? We are included in this new covenant covenant. And this verse 10 is so beautiful. It says, you have made them. Who is them? We are them. <laughs> we are them. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They will reign upon the earth. We are priests and kings and priests. Matthew Henry has, um, I like to listen, read his commentary a lot. He said it well. He said, Christ has redeemed his people from the bondage of sin, guilt, and Satan. He has not only purchased liberty for them, but the highest honor and preferment. You know that you have honor and preference, preferment because of what Jesus did for you? He made them kings and priests, kings to rule over their own spirits, we need to hear that, right? Kings to rule over our own spirits and to overcome the world and the evil one. And he made them priests, giving them access to himself and liberty to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Remember in the Bible, there was only one man, the high priest, that could go into the Holy of Holies. And it was so dangerous that they would tie a rope around one leg because if he went in with any kind of sin, 
he would fall flat dead on his face. And they would have to pull him out with the rope. Well, this guy didn't go in right, right? Now we get to, this morning, we get to go right into the Holy of Holies because he made us priests. Why? Because he became the final sacrifice. He became the lamb. (laughs) And they will reign in the millennial kingdom. And that is a thousand years of Jesus reigning as king from Jerusalem. You know, that's actually going to happen after defeating Satan. And we'll see that when we get to Revelation 20. But he says it, they say it six times that a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. And there's, if you know a lot about different denominations, some people think it's allegorical where it's just a really long period of time. But if they say it six times, I believe it's actually a thousand years. <laughs> God doesn't try to confuse us or mislead us in the word. So if he repeats something, you can be pretty sure he meant it, right? So we also should make note that we don't have to wait until the millennial reign of Christ to walk in our authority as kings and priests. It is for the millennial reign, but it's also for right now. We belong to another kingdom. We don't belong to the kingdom of this world. We have the authority in Jesus' names. I mean, we, we carry his authority in our hearts. And he was the lion, remember? He's still the lion. He has all authority. And we remember that he became the lamb which made us priests. So we have access to the Holy of Holies. It's really, really powerful. It also means that we can hear his voice for ourselves. We can hear his voice for ourselves. With the, with the age of Instagram prophets, I'm just going to say this really quick. Instagram prophets. I know, right? It is so dangerous to scroll and collect prophetic words. Please don't do that. It's dangerous because they're trying to get your attention. And if they're trying to get their, your attention... It's a very, very likely that their efforts are to get your attention and not to actually say what the Lord said. And Jesus made you a priest. You can go in for yourself. You can ask him, Jesus, what do you mean by this? What do you see happening in our future for my family? What should I do when this happens, right? Jesus talks to you, and the Holy Spirit wants to give you his voice personally. And I do believe that there are people assigned with a prophetic voice in the kingdom of God. Just be careful because in the new covenant, prophetic words are to edify, are to exhort, and are to comfort And everything else, in my opinion, goes on your knees. Everything else that you hear from the Lord is for the purpose of prayer. And I just have to say that. Okay. Revelation 5, 11 through 14. And Dion, you can come now if you want. And you could just just play that. I know you were going to want to play that song, hopefully. Then I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne 
and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them were myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And all these angels with a loud voice singing, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. We could talk about that for a long time, couldn't we? Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. That's what his kingdom looks like. That's what his kingdom is filled with. Never any lack (laughs) of any of those gifts. In verse 13, And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on the earth and under the earth or on the sea and all the things in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And all of heaven and earth in one accord are in celebration that Jesus, the lion and the lamb, is the one who is worthy to execute God's redemption plan for the earth. Amen? It's him. It's all about Jesus. And that's what we, this is what we mean when we say it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 2,000 years ago, it was set in motion here on earth, and he is not slow in doing what he promised, right? And next week, we'll look at the seals, and we'll look at what happens when each one of those seals are opened. But today, let's just worship him. (laughs) Can you stand up together? Father, as we just take a moment and we are thankful, we are thankful for allowing your son to be sent to this earth, the lion, the tribe of Judah, sent as king of kings and lord of lords. And then you became the slain lamb the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect, the complete, the whole sacrifice made so that we can become kings and priests. Such a beautiful story of redemption. And all heaven and earth declare your glory and worship you. And I just pray that in this room today that every single one of us know Jesus as the lion and the lamb and if you don't know him yet man don't let this opportunity pass you by to get to know him as the lion and the lamb with every eye closed and every head bowed I just want to give you an opportunity if you want to accept Jesus in your heart this morning if you haven't done that yet this is the day this is your redemption day I'm just going to ask you to look up at me and we'll pray together in a little bit. I'm not going to make you come up here. But if you want to look at me and just 
let me know that you're making that decision today. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every person in here, God, that you have become the lion and you have become the lamb for them, that it was a personal sacrifice for them, Jesus. And I pray as we dedicate our hearts and our lives to you to make you Lord, to confess our sins and make you Lord of our life, to live for you from this moment on, God, I pray that you would transform us into the image of your son, that we would become kings and priests to our God and we would reign with you. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. I thank you for your book, that it's the foundation, your Bible, your word, that's the foundation to our lives. We love you, Jesus, as we take a few more minutes to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer today, as we're closing with this song, I want to open up the altars, and we'd love to agree with you. So Lord seated on his throne he was clothed in glory exalted in the train of his robe Fill the temple and the angels surrounded, and they cried. Yes, they
You are more than welcome to stay here and worship King Jesus. Otherwise, we love you guys. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard.